Hi, welcome to Comics Unscripted, the podcast from Foreign Press Comics. I'm Kyler Merrill, and today we have um, Alaire and Tobin Rossico um, here to talk about their Kickstarter, Crown uh, and Anchor Volume 2. Um, how are you guys doing? Great. We're doing awesome. Thanks for having us on, Kyler. Thank this you. is lots of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm glad for you guys uh, reaching out to me because, you know, I need I need guests. Um, <laughs> we're, we're here for you, man. Yeah. So, um, like I said, we're here to mainly talk about Crown and Anchor. Um, I guess we so we can start off there. Um, do you guys want to kind of give me your your ver- your pitch, your summary, your logline? Sure. Yes. Uh, the logline I like to use is Crown and Anchor is a post-war sci-fantasy swashbuckling adventure with jeeps, fistfights, and rocket-launching blunderbusses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, Tobin like can give it a much better pitch. All right, yeah, practices though. Every time she brushes her teeth, she's like, <laughs> "That's right." Uh, my version is: it's an adventure comic that mashes a lot of genres together, as you heard from Alaire's pitch. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's really just, uh, you know, like a homebrew story that tackles mythology, religion, adventure. We talk about the hero's journey a lot. We don't talk about it, but we go through it, and um, it plays on a lot of kind of game and fantasy tropes yeah mine's not as succinct as hers but you know i tackled the other side of it yeah Yeah. i was gonna say you gotta have both sides you gotta have the really like fun like draw people in you gotta have the more like this is what it's about this This yeah yeah this is what it actually is so (laughs) exactly yeah you have your like your textbook (laughs) definition and then like you're like here's the real deal like here's what's on the amazon site that's right exactly yeah you gotta have your pitch to sell your sales pitch you know to get Mm -hmm. people interested um but i um I guess I heard, I think, part of this from Alaire's side on a, another podcast. Um, but can you, you guys want to give me kind of your origin story of how that book came to be? Oh, boy. It's so weird. Do you want me to tell it this time? You can tell it this time. <clears throat> I'll try to not drag it on too long. But once upon a time, uh, I was attending school at BYUI, and so was Tobin. Uh, it was my first semester and also my first week of school when I met Tobin. It was his third semester. He had been in the comic book workshop uh, many times before and decided to give it another chance, even though the year before it got taken over by a bunch of shoujo fans, which nothing wrong with shoujo. But uh, so we were doing introductions and uh, we were asked to draw pictures of ourselves and post them on the wall. And <laughs> Uh, we went around saying, like, are you a writer? Are you an artist? And uh, so Tobin was like, I'm a writer looking for an artist. And just to be snarky, I said, I'm an artist looking for a writer. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't understand what she said. Yeah. She did say it with a lot of sauce. I, I had so much sauce on it. Um, and then we kind of had our meeting. And then I was like, all right, it's time to go home. Like, you know, this was, this was fun. I don't, I don't remember if I wanted to come back or not. I think I was going to, but... I was like almost home and this tall, lanky thing <laughs> is just like, wait, and puffing behind wait. and it's Tobin, the guy who, you know, said he was a writer looking for an artist. And he's like, hey, do you want to like make comics with me? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And then he was my first friend at college and he invited me to a taco party. And then he forgot to, forgot tell to actually me. tell me like when it was. Uh <laughs> And so we started making really bad comics together, which was great because that's how you learn how to make mm-hmm. comics. Uh, and then a year later, he presented Crown and Anchor. Except it was it had a different title. Very different. He was like, hey, what do you think of this? And I'm like, this is stupid. I don't want to work on this. 
Uh, and then he had me draw characters, and then I fell in love with it, and it has been this parasitic thing living rent-free in my head since then. Um, and it's gone through a couple rewrites, but now it's where we want it to be, which is why book one exists now. And that's why book two is coming to be because we got it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of our origin story and yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess um, for like Tobin, where, cause I, from what some, something Diddler said and something else, um, where did you come up with the idea for this? Like, how did you, where's the idea of the pirates and all that stuff come together? Yeah, Tobin. Washbuckling aspect. So the pirates came from, it was a weird time of life. So I was really into manga as a teenager. That's kind of what my gateway drug to like actual comics was. Cause I couldn't get comics where I grew up. I grew up in Saskatchewan and I had to drive basically an hour and a half to get to a comic shop. But then of course you're spending five bucks on 20 pages of comics. Whereas I could get a volume of manga. Uh, I would get the Shonen Jump magazine. So it was the monthly like anthology. And I think I could get a subscription and it worked out to like $10 a month or something mm-hmm. like it was dirt cheap for, you know, 500 pages of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did for multiple years. And one of the stories in there was one piece, you know, the, the monolithic oh <laughs> story gosh. that just yeah. never stops. And the world building and the characters and stuff like that were just really, really fun. And it resonated with me in the sense of this kind of almost video game structure of, you know, here's a boss or here's a villain we take them down and then the next arc starts and then there's another boss or villain. And that kind of thing was very familiar because as a video gamer, right? That's the life is I got to grind to get to there. I got to overcome these challenges to get to this boss or whatever. And so I understood that structure. That was before I went to school for creative writing and stuff. And so really my comprehension of, of narrative was just like, here's a hurdle and here's another hurdle. And that was kind of, it was just that cycle. And so part of it, part of creating crown and anchor was, replicating that style so that's why in book one there's kind of a boss and then in book two there's a different kind of boss villain right it's not like i mean there is kind of a voldemort character who's there through all of it but there are these kind of micro things that they have to go through and then the other part of it was just wanting to create like a creation myth and a, a pantheon of gods in a polytheistic world and again that was kind of before i understood that that existed a lot in fantasy. Like a lot of the stuff that I did back then I thought was really super unique because I had never been exposed to it. But as I read more novels and as I became more educated, I realized, oh, there's, you know, everybody's been saying this to me lately. Like there's no original stories left in the world. And I'm like, that's not true. There is, you just really got to work and dig and find your own spin on it and stuff. So it was really this desire to just kind of say, or to, um, to satisfy this desire to just create something with as grand of scale as it felt when I was reading one piece. And a lot of the technology and stuff comes from one piece, like not, you know, a one-to-one thing, but Mm -hmm. there's this one scene and they have like a fax machine or it's something like that, but it's this like snail and it has antenna (laughs) and it picks up the stuff and then out of its shell, it prints out a scroll and I remember seeing that and being like, that is just freaking amazing. Like it just was so yeah. unbelievable and funny and dumb that I was like, yeah, okay. You can really just do whatever you want with this kind of storytelling. So 
that's that's a huge influence on the world and the characters and just kind of the attitude of the book. Mm-hmm. I guess were there any like personal experiences that were because I want to did element in the other podcast. Sorry, I'm just calling back <laughs> to the one other thing I listened to about it. I was like, I had this okay. plan that I was going to do all this research and like because I've been trying to start researching more and writing more questions and things, and then I didn't end up doing as much as I wanted to. But um, well, we haven't really talked about Crown Anchor much, so no, this is like our not first. your fault. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, was there much. any like personal experience or like a mission or anything like that involved? As, like, as far as how much does that <laughs> like? That you how does that impact that. your like your writing? I guess is kind of was I was okay. wondering. So sorry yeah. to ask all those Peter on the bush questions. Now come back to the question I want oh, to ask. Oh, it's great. That's okay. Like, so yeah, yeah. So like I mentioned, I grew up in Saskatchewan, right? So very secluded it was a kind of middle of saskatchewan farming town so the really the only ways that you succeeded is if you were a farmer or if you were like a really good hockey player that's kind of the main two things that came out of that town and when i was 19 i yeah i served a mission for two years in the dominican republic and so going from very rural saskatchewan to the middle of the caribbean i was like holy cow there's culture and stuff that exists outside of this little bubble that I was in before. And so a lot of what I was exposed to there uh, definitely influenced things. So the way that we approach elves, and I mean, elves in a lot of contemporary fantasy are ways to talk about racism and prejudice Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. And again, I thought that was super unique, but I saw that firsthand where living in the Dominican the Haitian people were very prejudiced against because Haiti at one point had rule over Mm -hmm. the Spanish people in the, uh, yeah, the Isle Española, right? Mm -hmm. The, the, the Island that they share. So that's kind of the attitude that I went going into with the L's. And so we talked about that a little bit in book two and book three and stuff. Um, but it really was, and we'll talk about this a lot and like all the stuff that you'll see is is crown and anchor is really about finding your fan your family and finding your place and where you belong and kind of maybe looking for a long long time trying a bunch of stuff and then finally something clicks and you go all oh, right like this is where i'm meant to be or where i belong mm-hmm. and I that guess. was definitely very prominent in that time of my life right you're mm-hmm just kind of coming out of your teenage years you're trying to figure out what you want to be long term rather than just you know a year in high school trying to make it through so there's a lot of that that goes into it in terms of personal experience yeah I I mean I think that's I mean I do think that's like definitely a time that's a time that anyone can identify with that specific time but I also think that you know that's a story that can be told at any point in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have a, I'm currently writing this, trying to write a story. It's only like outlined right now, but that's the same idea as far as like finding who you are and your people, but it's mm-hmm. based on like, it's set with fifth graders. And so that story is kind of, I guess it's interesting. I get to me, I guess that it's a lifelong story of like finding your people that that's always that you could put that same story with children or with, mm-hmm. you know, entering adulthood or as like, full-grown adults and you could still have the same beats and the same type of story. I don't know. I just, I, that's something that I just thought of. There's not really any question there, but I thought. No, yeah. I I definitely agree that like, and again, it comes back to this idea, which I don't agree with where there's original stories or not, but like the themes. And I think that's what people misconstrue Mm -hmm. is that like, there's not a whole lot of themes to write about, but the manner in which you do it 
is what makes things unique, right? So Crown and Anchor is very different than Pilgrim's Dirge, but I still kind of talk about the same things because it's the things that are on my mind. Mm-hmm. And like that idea of family is also prevalent in Emulator, and it's but they're very, very different stories, but the the subject or the theme or the, you know, that kind of stuff is all there because I think that's just part of the human experience and that at yeah. the core is what stories are and why we want to listen or read stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess not to get, uh, this is I mean, for either of you, honestly, but for not to get too into the weeds, um, even though it's something that I'm, I'm interested in, not just with you guys, but just in general. Um, I guess what you've met, you mentioned that, you know, it was on a mission and then you talked about um, including, you know, polytheistic things in your in the book like how much often i guess does that sort of thing for either of you like impacts the things that you create i feel like it impacts a lot of things we create because you know we're not necessarily trying to preach to anybody when Mm -hmm. we make stories but like we will include some beliefs like hey the power of agency is incredibly Mm -hmm. important and you know people think not people think but like sometimes we're we kind of box ourselves in and say, this is how everything's going to be forever. When you have this whole trajectory to explore of your life, you know, you may start out one way, but you're going to end up a different way. And it's going to be the power of your choices that get you there. Um, It's like what Dumbledore says. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Um, (laughs) So like, you know, things, things change over time and we change over time and we'll be finding you know, where we fit in, uh, those people will change over time as well. Sometimes we fit in with a certain crowd and they're our family. And then when we get older, you know, those people might still be around, they might not, but we find new family and we make more connections. And uh, like the human connection is so important, um, even in our beliefs and love is so important in Mm -hmm. our beliefs too. And so while Crown and Anchor is kind of this really scrappy story, like a lot of what our main character suffers is that lack of love uh, for himself or from others. Yeah. Uh, and so he has to kind of get over himself and just be like, I need to start caring. I yeah. need to start, you know, fixing some things. And he doesn't really realize it until he gets to these certain points in the story. Um, and so I guess the supporting cast helps them get there and they're all very different. Um, but we also need different people in our lives too. Right. Uh, they kind of help us open our minds and think, because if we're stuck in our own echo chambers and we don't really learn anything, we have to reach out to others um, to just learn more and expand our horizons and such. So it, it might be kind of weird because creating a polytheistic religion in a fantasy setting doesn't necessarily impact our belief system mm-hmm. here. I yeah. guess if, if that was a, th- a thread that you were curious about and like, yeah, religion's really fascinating and it's very prevalent in a lot of my writing because it's something that's always on my mind, but it's not necessarily like Alaire said, it's not necessarily that we're preaching or even suggesting that something is right or something is wrong. Mm-hmm. It, I look at it mostly as religion as a driving force for you to make decisions and your modus operandi, right? Like what actually influences you to do the things you do and to be the person you are or want to be. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see in book one, like Mact is very devout, right? He's the book starts with a prayer, which is kind of weird, but that's (laughs) not necessarily us suggesting anything 
to our readers, the reason for starting that is because one of the criteria of like the traditional English literature epic is that you start by invoking the goddess, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the the things from like Homer's Odyssey and like that kind of school of, of literature. And so I started that book with that because it's our biggest project that we're probably ever going to undertake and mm-hmm. thinking, hey, we only have one shot at this. Let's like really give it our all. It's kind of a tongue in cheek way of being like, yeah, this is our epic. This is what our kind of masterpiece will be when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not proclaiming that everybody go out and, and follow this religion or abandon their own or, or anything like that. It's really just hoping that people reflect on, you know, am I doing the best that I can do? Am I being the best that I can be? And hopefully our characters and their trajectories are vehicles for them to see consequences and benefits of different choices and and outcomes. Yeah. And like, not all of our characters are religious. I think Mact is one of the only ones that actually is. And then one other character that you'll run into, but like everyone else is kind of just, they they know that there's religious people. They are probably taught the lore and mythology of the gods, but they don't necessarily believe that they're there yeah. or believe that they have an active they're part. Not, they're not going to church every Sunday. Yeah, they're Sunday. just yeah. like, oh, whatever. If you know. the days of the week are called that in the book. Yeah. And like know. in the first book, Heb's even like, you know what? The gods are schmucks because I can't believe they would look over or watch over someone like me. Like there's no mm-hmm. way. Um, yeah, religion is for people that, benefit from religion not yeah. from these people who have to do it themselves but i think tobin said before like you know a lot of our a lot of his stories are kind of about people lacking that faith in whatever it is whether in themselves or in yeah, religion or whatever and then you know trying to find it and build their faith in whatever it is yeah. um because faith you know doesn't just come in a religious form it comes in several different forms yeah um yeah like having faith that this pandemic will end oh my goodness (laughs) i have so much faith (laughs) i just don't know when it'll happen (laughs) i will but i don't know i agree with you i don't know when but i guess the the question i just wrote down that and again i'm sorry for getting really deep and like or like you know to like religion it's just it's a very interesting topic for me um Mm -hmm. but i guess because this is something that i struggle with um as a writer um I mean, that's not saying only Tobin can answer this, but <laughs> anyone can answer. But um, I guess when I write stories that have a, you know, a spiritual or some kind of bend to them, I struggle and the book comes across very preachy. I'm wor- mm-hmm. or I'm, at least I'm worried that it does. And that's not what I intend at all. But mm-hmm. then like I read the product back and I'm like, that sounds like I'm just trying to just be like, hey, guys. <laughs> Start, start coming to church. Let's go. Start. Yeah, you know, I'm like, you're up on I'm your not soapbox. trying to do that at all, at like at all. But mm-hmm. that's the way it comes across. Nothing that I, nothing that's come out has looked like that. But like, um, there's the, uh, the first comic I ever did that I don't think has ever seen the light of day. Um, that's it's somewhere in my hard drive, and I'm gonna put it out. It's eventually. It's garbage. It's yes. honestly garbage. <laughs> put, but, out um, garbage. put out your garbage. I, I, I'm going Bring to. Out I think I'm gonna find it for like. I'm gonna save it for like a like I don't know something big, but. Um, <laughs> I guess, like I said, I struggle with, in that story, it's about this character and he struggles with his own religion, with his Christianity, and there's like superpowers involved. And so it comes out as an angel and he thinks it's an angel, but like, I guess it comes across very preachy. Do you struggle with that as well, with trying to not come off that way, but it does. I feel like it's easier to, it's easier to say, hey, none of our characters are Christian. 
Like in this world, <laughs> Christianity does not exist. Like, you know, so I, I mean, I think that part helps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I like, it's not, is. it's not bad to preach, especially if they're good messages. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is one thing that really helps. Um, another thing is just kind of like, what main messages do you want to focus on and cover multiple times, but in different ways? Cause we kind of cover, oh, what do we cover? <laughs> I mean, we just talked about, it, but now I can't name specifics. Um, like, like self-change, self-change mm-hmm. is probably a big thing in Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but how do you get there? And so we, we go over that a lot with Heb <laughs> because mm-hmm. he, he struggles. Um, we all struggle. So kind of just trying to find those things that can relate to a lot of people, whether they're religious or non-religious um, and just, you know, not, not beat a dead horse with it, but just talk about different <laughs> aspects of it. Um, but it does also help to like, I guess it would help to read it out loud as well, or have beta readers mm-hmm. and just be like, Hey, what did you think? Um, you know, have maybe have someone religious read it, have someone non-religious read it and be like, what are your thoughts? Um, those are just my initial thoughts. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's just what came to my mind. And I honestly don't worry about it. There you go. <laughs> Okay. Like, and I know that might sound really crass and stuff, but like, I know that my intention is mm-hmm. not to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so one of the beauties of literature is somebody can read it and they can go, oh man, this is, you know, all I saw was just this message of, you know, religious stuff. And then another person can go, really? I never noticed that at all. So yeah. I'm putting it out there and reader interpretation will be what it is. Mm-hmm. But I know that I'm not arguing for people to go to church, it's more for like that self-reflection mm-hmm. and self-examination and using our character's trajectory and change as, um, as a demonstration of like, you know, we're all flawed in some ways and sometimes it takes religion to get over them. Sometimes it takes a good friend. Sometimes it takes a good nap, right? Like it's, yeah. it's very diverse in how we actually achieve change. So Yeah. And like, I mean, this is your story, right? Like, this is going to have your own beautiful and unique take on whatever it is you want to talk about. And I mean, you know, I had my worries in the beginning of Crown and Anchor because I was like, well, what? I didn't know that. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, I was like, I want to appeal to so many people, but I realize I'm not going to appeal to all people. And that is okay. Like, you're still going to have a readership. What do they say if in game, this this is specifically what I hear a lot in game design is like, if you try to appeal to everybody, you'll end up like connecting with nobody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really, and then the other thing that people say is if people like your story, then you kind of fail them. They need to like be passionate either by hating it or loving it. Like oh I can't remember how it's said, but something like that where that sounds scary too. You really want to just resonate with like, you know, even resonating with 40% is better than like mildly interesting 60 mm-hmm. or 80% or something. Yeah. Just, you know, do what you want to do, honestly, because no one can do it as well as you. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't worry. Our stories get more religious later on. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see if it's more or less successful. Okay. By yeah. book eight, we're going to convert the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Different. oh my gosh no because like you know that's not your intention i think mm-hmm. you know smart sincere readers are going to sorry are going to read your story or any of your stories 
And if they feel that sincerity and they feel that message of, you know, love or instruction or whatever it is, like, it's going to resonate with people. And hey, maybe the world needs more stories like that these days. I want more superheroes and angels. Like, yes, please. I am all about that. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, uh, I guess I appreciate that. But um, (laughs) um, like I said, it's it's not it's not good for several reasons. It's not. It's just just, (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. But um, whatever. No, it's. I, I agree I think what um both of you said is it's great because I also I agree with I've had the same thought that like Tobin said that like I that's not what I intended so I'm just going to put it out because people are going to interpret it how they interpret it and okay. I also think that in especially in the context of your story it does help that it's not specifically Christianity like if you'd mm-hmm. been setting it like in real world pirates and there were real you know missionaries and things like that yeah where that would be a little bit like that yeah Probably. that would be a little bit more um you know, a little bit more difficult to navigate. Not that I, you, it would change anything, but I, it would definitely add another layer to um, yes. it. But it's um, like Stephen King says. I'm pretty sure it's Stephen King. You write like your mom is dead. Oh, because what does that even mean? Because oh. your mom is your first critic. Oh, so if you get that out of your head, oh, you're free to write. However, because that first voice is gone. Interesting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that. it's Stephen King. But what if you loved your mom? Kill her anyways. Okay. That's how you become well, a better writer. I gotta call my mom. And... <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, this is gonna be an awkward conversation later. But, Mother, um, you gotta mom. go. <laughs> Sorry. My um, writing is suffering because of you. <laughs> there's a comic. Yeah, exa- there you go. That would be, oh, you could do a really cool, like, fourth wall breaking thing where he has to, like, somehow, it, I don't know. I can't think of it right now, but give me some time and I bet I can figure it out. Um, right. So, I guess to uh, bring things away from uh, that side of things and more to um, I guess I want to talk a little bit about you guys as your process and um, uh, just kind of how that works and the way you make comics um, first I did want to mention something that I thought was a little funny um, in your creator bios um, mm-hmm. Alaris says um, you know she mentions Tobin's butt like she wants to like <laughs> and then she mentions her kid all these great things. And then his doesn't mention her, the kid at all. <laughs> and I was just, I just thought that was funny today. I was reading that. Where's that? Like, it's on Rossico.art. What you sent me, the crown and anchor details page, it says it's hers is her bio has you and your kid mentioned in it. And then you're, you don't mention her at all. And I was like, oh, that's great, I guess. But well, there was another interview where he was gushing all about me and it was oh, very okay. sweet. And I didn't mention him at all. Okay. I was just ripping on him the whole time. For the record. Alaire wrote both of those bios. I did. Oh, <laughs> I'm not okay. at fault. You could have even talked yourself up then. You could have just been like, hey, like he loves me. He's all, hey, everything I do is, I you, know, you could have been all about it, but you just, I was yeah, like, I want to make him interesting. I'll talk about, <laughs> I mean, I did rip Alaire. on him. I was yeah, like, I called did. him a really big nerd. Yeah, that's a yeah. compliment. Oh, well, there you go. Nerds make all the money these days. It's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> Um, but I guess what is how what is um, the, the what is the process like? I guess let's start there as far as writing and then um, uh, the art and how does it get how many like passes does it go through? Oh, is is there editing first, involved? Sure. What's this like? All right. So when I write, um, actually, the process really begins by me having an idea or, you know, uh, the ideas come from a lot of different stuff. So I don't want to be one of those people that's like, I wrestle for weeks on stuff. Like sometimes, you know, I'll just be walking and I'll see something mm-hmm. or, you know, something pop my head. It's it's really not exciting. Okay. But after I walk, or sorry, after I kind of let it germinate for a little bit, 
And I have, typically it's like, if I have a beginning and an end, that's when I bring it to a lair. And I say, I have the story about this writer who really sucks. And he, <laughs> he figures out that he has to kill his mom, right? Whoa. To go back to that. We're just going to, we're going to keep it all. <laughs> okay, inside yeah, let's go there. I love let's it. But the ending is, is that if he kills his mom, he's going to forget how to write. Whoa. So it's this like paradox, right? Something like that. <laughs> and so then I pitched the story to Alaire. And if she says, yeah, that's cool. And there's something there, then it, then I actually write it down because the first, the first hurdle is if I forget about it, it's, it's not, you know, mm-hmm. strong enough of an idea to remember. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. So then once it passes the Alaire proof, once it jumps the shark that is Alaire yeah. and I start actually writing it, a lot of it is just outlining. So I just throw a bunch of ideas down of, you know, I picture this scene or I picture that scene. I want to get stuff filled out. And then it really is kind of arbitrary. And this is probably something that makes me a really not um, great writer, but I kind of just pick a number of issues out of the air. So with Crown and Anchor, it started as 60 and then we bumped it down to 40 because I realized that I could compress it and make it a lot more worth reading than Mm -hmm. trying to drag all this stuff out. Um, But typically now it's, you know, five issue stories and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so what I do once I have a very loose structure is, or like an idea pool of kind of things I want to do and understand that stuff, I'll pull it into a Google Forms, like an Excel spreadsheet, and I'll make it all nice and pretty for, you know, issue one, two, et cetera. And then I start very loosely outlining an issue, right? It's going to begin with them in the boat. It's going to end with them getting the divine token and et cetera, et cetera. And then you start to, to really put the Legos, kind of sort them by color, if you will. Then when I have the whole thing together, I'll take loose leaf papers, lined paper, and I'll write one, two, three, four, five, all the way down to 24, sometimes 22, depending on how long the issue needs to be. And those numbers represent what's going to happen on each page. So I'm blocking out each page by issue. And then when I have that done, then I sit down and I have the loose leaf paper by me. And by that point, I can basically hear what the conversations are i can see how the movements are going to happen i can tell where the combat's going to go i know what the page turns are going to be and that kind of stuff and i just script it now that being said the scripting for panels and what happens in the panels hardly ever changes because i can picture it in my head well enough what does change and you asked about editing the main edits that happen is i'll give it to a layer she'll read it and she basically just strikes through dialogue and that's a lot of the process with all of the books i work on is I write them and specifically the dialogue in a way that is very like hitting you over the head or just bland. It's not really that exciting the first pass, but it really comes alive for me when I can actually see the characters and I can see the emotion and the, and the acting and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she'll recommend, Hey, this page, you know, this scene's not very, very well scripted in terms of dialogue. This character wouldn't say that. And so she'll start, she'll draw it. And in terms of going back and forth on art, it's with all of my artists, I say, here's the script. And I don't ever really give art notes because I don't like to go backwards. I like to just keep going forward. And typically because I letter it as well, I can kind of make up for if there's any weirdness or, or that kind of thing. The only thing that I really tell a layer is to like, stick to the grid a little bit more. Ugh, the grid. So if there's conversation <laughs> scenes, I like to, them to be very cinematic. Mm-hmm. And then when the action starts, that's when the panels start to get more geometric and, you know, 
that kind of stuff. So then when she hands me the page um, and I go to letter it, you know, if it's, if it's one where notes were uh, needed and dialogue needs to change, I'll take a pass at it, send screenshots back and forth. If it's a page that doesn't have a whole lot, I'll try to like add in a joke or something. Mm -hmm. And then if she laughs, I know that I did a good job. <laughs> but the back and forth really comes when the art is drawn and it's, you know, does this conversation make sense? Does that, and that I did that for Crown and Anchor and Emulator and Pilgrim's Dirge, like all this stuff went through her because she's a really good judge of, of conversation that way. And then the final thing, because <laughs> well, I guess this, yeah, this is the final stage for notes is it'll be in the PDF and I'll send her the PDF. And then she basically goes back and adds something to, <laughs> to like 80% of the pages. Going, Give it a little oomph. Oh, this face is weird. This nose is weird. Mm -hmm. You know, I should have done this. I forgot that the sword had to change hands oh my gosh we were, that just happened <laughs> we were dealing with that this week put a freaking sword in the wrong hand the sword for is going page. back and forth <laughs> and stuff like that so um that's really it like i'm sure well you can probably say for your process a little bit different but i like to be very hands-off even when i'm scripting i'm a very lazy scripter because i can picture I can picture it in my head, but I'm not one of those people who's like, it needs to look exactly like this. Like my, oh, my man. panel descriptions maybe are three sentences. Most often it's like less than 10 words. Mm -hmm. yep. And I say, Heb is sitting on the crow's nest. He's sad and he's drinking. Mm -hmm. And then Alaire does the rest. Mm -hmm. Or if it's in emulator, I'll say Cal is having a snack and he's looking at a screen. He's very surprised. And I'll let the artists just do what they need. I'll let them pick, you know, how... Are they close? Is it wide? Is it medium? Whatever. Because that stuff doesn't matter to me because they understand the visual aesthetic of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I handle the narrative and like, I'll give them some points to that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm very lazy because the, the reason I'm not writing prose is because I can do all of the world descriptions and stuff with not a whole lot of effort. I remember reading, I believe it was North Anger Abbey by Jane Austen. And there literally was three pages of her describing what their kitchen table looked like. And I was like, this is freaking ridiculous. <laughs> like, why would you ever need this? This literally is like an image. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't write prose. Yeah. So how's your collaborative process with me? Um, Tobin hands me a script and I'll read it and be like, wow, this is amazing. And I'll read it again and be like, no, it's not. It needs work. <laughs> it's, um, the novelty wears off really fast. It does. Um you know, there are a few times where I'm like, I really like this, but I think this needs to happen or maybe this needs to change or can we add this? Yeah, and she Tobin, adds, definitely. Tobin will be like, no, that's a terrible idea. Do what I tell you. That's Do I really say that? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, I mean, with some things, you're just like, no, this this needs to happen. Yeah. Don't change Especially it. Especially with Crown and Anchor. Yeah. There's a lot of really specific beats. Um, I like mm -hmm. to add a lot of fluff to Crown and Anchor because, you know, it's my baby as well. Because I really love these characters and I, I want to spend as much time with them as I can. So I, I add a lot of extra things if I can get away with it. Uh, but yeah, there are some pages where it just says fight. <laughs> That's how <laughs> And I'll draw a whole page of fighting. <laughs> Be like, okay, what am I going to start with? What am I going to end with? How does it, you know, what happens in between? Um, but yeah, so long as I know what character I need to focus on, what their emotion is, and, you know, kind of an idea of what they're saying, even though the dialogue will change, that's all I need. Um, I'm also very against conversation panels. Like, very rarely will there be more than two people talking in a panel, because as a letterer, that starts to get annoying. Oh, my mm -hmm. goodness, yes. But 
again, the way that I approach narrative is if somebody or somebody's talking, you can probably lengthen that out and like really slow the pace because you're really getting, you're getting a lot of information, that information. Yeah. Whereas in a fight, that's when things pick up. There'll be more panels. Like we learned, I don't know how much you know about comic theory in terms of like the academic stuff, but the, the main understanding of comics is the smaller, the panel, the shorter amount of time mm-hmm. that passes in it. Yeah. Right. It's pretty basic. Yeah. And so fights should be very chaotic with lots of different panels. And then obviously the splash page being the slowest thing. So you see, especially in book one, lots of splash pages to either end, sorry, to begin an issue or kind of in the middle to like really cause you to pause at the start. Like even the very first page is just the full scene of that ship Mm -hmm. to really be like, okay, this is, you know, this is the world. This is a nautical naval based world Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. So um, my point about saying this was when she adds stuff it's it's mostly to control the visual pace yeah and to make those character beats resonate a little bit more and not kind of lose some of their yeah uh, oomph if they need a little bit more duration in terms of like one extra panel to get that emotion across yeah because sometimes like you know comics are a sequential medium but sometimes some pages don't feel sequential enough like there has to be something in between to tie two different scenes together um And so that's when I'll be like, can I add an extra panel? Because I feel like there just needs to be another beat to really drive this last panel home, stuff like that. So that's our process, uh, essentially. (laughs) I mean, I, I, it's, I mean, I agree with, I, I, that's kind of how I, it's difficult, different for me because difficult for me, because like sometimes I write for myself to draw Mm -hmm. and sometimes I write for other people to draw. And so like with myself, I can definitely do like what Tobin does and just do like, three or four words and just be like she's sad like we see so we see emmy's eyes you know just something like that and i'm like all right i get it i know what she looks like right here but like mm-hmm. other times i send things to artists and people are like hey uh you might want to like add more details like because i don't understand what you mean and i'm like oh shoot so i have to go back and add more stuff to make sure it, like they can really understand but i also like i definitely am not very picky about because i think that you know i want the artist to have an opinion too that's why mm-hmm. i chose that artist yeah, it's a collaborative there, it's, medium exactly mm-hmm. except for like there like you said there are certain panels where like i'm like no that has to look this way because there's some imagery here or there's some the way this looks like we're going to call it back later in this other mm-hmm. issue you know there's something something very yeah. specific absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. um so i guess since earlier since you were like since he said you're the you all the scripts go through you um is there a difference between editing crown and anchor or looking at the scripts for crown and anchor and looking at scripts for something else that you're not drawing yes um so i would say i'm definitely more invested in crown and anchor because Mm -hmm. i know that world way more i know those characters exactly i helped build it I did not well i helped build pilgrim sturge a little bit but with emulator like nothing we we don't Mm -hmm. see that we don't see the amount of world building in Pilgrim Sturge we do as, as we do. In yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so with Pilgrim Sturge, I'm a little bit more familiar with it. Um, but honestly, I would say like, again, I, I don't necessarily look for like, you know, oh, this character doesn't sound right. It's more like, does this make sense? Is this well paced? Um, and then with Emulator, I think I had the hardest time because Emulator is a more personal story with Tobin. And so I'm like, I feel like it should go this way. He's like, no, it has to go this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The kids have to beat each other up at the beginning. Yeah, the I kids, got so many complaints about that. The kids have to friends be. Friends wouldn't beat each other up. Oh, I beat yes, up my they friends would. all the time when I was a kid. That's just what we did, especially about who gets to play next. Honestly, I beat up my <laughs> friends too, and they beat me up. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, 
Um, maybe not to that this extent. Isn't, again, I keep coming back to this. This isn't Harry Potter where they're just like friends all the time. I yeah, know. No, people hate each other. No, they yeah. actually beat up Draco Malfoy and no one stops <laughs> no, them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Spoilers. Oh, Ooh. sorry. Um, so it is a it is a bit different because um, you know, I'm not as familiar with those characters and those stories, but um, yeah, I just look for those things like is pacing okay is you know are the panels okay do the scenes line up am i confused about anything yeah that's that's the biggest yeah. thing if i'm confused about something i obviously just go to Tobin. i'm like what what are you doing <laughs> uh and he'll either explain it or he'll be like oh i you know i'll change that I'll or fix something. it in post. i'll fix it <laughs> um so yeah it, yeah in short it just it is different mm. yeah it um, just sounds like it's it's more subjective because or obje- I don't know the difference, um, but like with the ones that you know, you can kind of see it more of like it's what the character. The other ones is just it's just more like you mentioned or that comic theory. It's just like does this? How does this fit as a comic? Like does this work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so one, um, it's got to make sense. In Crown and Anchor, she's reading it as a co-creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And as the rest of them, she's reading it as a reader. So it's that very yeah. you know yeah. picking it up off the shelf. Is it good, bad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, would I like it? Do I like this issue? Yeah. Would you buy number two? Yeah. That kind of stuff. Whereas with Crown and Anchor, she knows the mechanics and, you know, she knows what's under the hood. And so she can say, oh, you know, this isn't proper and et cetera, et cetera. Or, yeah. oh, no, we have continuity errors. Fix them. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> oh, oh, my goodness. She's not supposed to be there. <laughs> she knows she's not supposed to be there. You're too. right. She's supposed to be in my arms right now. <laughs> I know. She oh, my to. She's goodness. She's not going to come over here. We're talking about my cat, Harley. I'll put a picture on Instagram or Twitter. Please do. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, his cat is so cute. cute. She's, I mean, like, I don't want to be cocky. She's really pretty. Um, but yeah. um, the last question I have as far as about your process, um, how do you guys, um, what are, or I guess what I wrote down is boundaries when creating art, question mark. Um, so I don't know how to word that question. We but, do not have an OnlyFans account. I'm sorry. Okay. I, 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 I figured you didn't, but I mean, like, are you, is it just like a free game? Like, Hey, I'm writing now. Or is there, is it like a, do you have quote unquote office hours or oh. like, I mean, how is so that? boundaries What's, between personal and business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's a good I'm, question. That's something I'm dealing with right now myself is like, like, is there times when I can, cause like currently my girlfriend has a business degree. And so it's like helping me build Ooh. things up. And mm-hmm. so it's like, but it's, she's like, I don't want you just constantly be just like, you know, what, but it also doesn't help. My ADD brain is like always wondering, <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And yeah. so, yeah, but yeah. it's like, there's certain, so it's like, so we've kind of been like setting up the time, like we're going to have a business meeting. And so like, we'll yeah. talk oh. so mm-hmm. like, is there like, how does that work for you guys? Like boundaries and things like that. It used to be worse <laughs> when we would go to conventions. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Because literally we would just spend like weekends and weekends thinking about this stuff. Um, with the pandemic, I don't feel like it's exacerbated it too much, but we definitely just work all the time. But in terms of when we collaborate, I don't like we definitely don't have set hours. No, but mm-hmm. some nights yeah. we'll be like, hey, do you want to plan all the covers for Crown and Anchor yeah, right now? That yeah, that sounds like fun. So, But it, it helps where we're at because Crown and Anchor is fully written. Yeah. And so it's really just a layer we're fitting it in between the other stuff that she has going on. And so she can, she can speak to that. But in terms of myself, like last year I set a goal to write every single day. 
and it was amazing. And I cranked out a ton of stuff. And so I had a time where I would start my day with writing just to get moving and get flowing. And I had a lot of really great experiences, but this year I haven't had time to do that. And Mm -hmm. so my output hasn't really been anything to talk about. It's been really poor, but that's nice because I know that I have a lot of stuff in the bank and I can help Alaire go through stuff and, and whatnot. But in terms of her schedule, Ugh, okay. Well, before a child, I used to work six to eight hours a day, and which is why we cranked out book one so quickly. And then, you know, post-child, I go to about two hours a day. <laughs> if I don't work in the evening, then it might be about three to four <laughs> hours. Um, but because I'm also working on side quest and other client projects, like yeah. we haven't really collaborated much. It's Grant's because fault. Freaking Grant. <laughs> um, you know, we haven't collaborated that much recently just because like I'm busy doing other things and uh, you know, but it's, it's nice with this Kickstarter because I'm starting to crank out pages again. Side quest number three is done. And now I've started to say no to people. <laughs> Which is very hard. <laughs> it's very hard. Cause you're like, money's really nice. And just yeah, telling stories is fun. Yeah, it really is. But now I have to be like, no, like I'm not available till like, 2024 like I have so much lined up um that's the yeah that's the goal for next year is to say no to everything yeah Mm -hmm. we just don't have time it's gonna feel so good I'm sorry everybody um so yeah I mean but there will be times where I'll be drawing one Sunday and I'll be like hey this weapon won't appear until like book seven do you like it do you like this design do you want to keep it and you know during other things I'll like okay so this artifact is going to show up here. Are you happy with it? So there's like little tiny collaborative moments. Mm. We do not have business hours because every hour is business hour. Yeah. In some form, it'll just come out and be like, okay, so I was thinking about this scene in Crown and Anchor. What do you think about doing this? You know? Um, yeah. We're not so deep into the, into the development anymore. It's really just, we got to make yeah. it a thing. Right. So just again, back in the, too. back when we were doing conventions, and stuff like that when it was we still didn't know how it all went we'd have you know three hour car rides of just like talking about what what does heb do after this what does this person do after this and it would we would get headaches because we were just trying to solve the problem so long (laughs) but now that we're on the other side of that it's really smooth sailing to use a nautical term i guess and just just be like yep a layer when you get there we'll figure it out because that's how i approach most of my life is like i'm not going to worry about it yet because mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like yet or whatever. So, yeah. but Alara is very much, you know, she lays awake at night. What am I, what am I doing on this page? Yeah. Or it's just like, I've been thinking about this one scene in this one book for like six years and I can't wait to get there. That's how attached I am to this yeah. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that, I, that, I mean, that's fine. I don't have any like thing to say really. <laughs> I just didn't want to, I just want to clarify. Like I didn't like, not like I have like, crazy like my girlfriend's like crazy or anything she's not like you can only talk to me during these hours it's just like it's just figuring out how to juggle like that that time it's like honey you tire me out can you please schedule between one and two p.m when my brother first got married they lived in a little studio apartment and they had to have like a they had a divider yeah they had a divider because if they didn't have it up they would just like you know stare at mm-hmm. each other and talk and stuff and no. he's like okay i need to work and he'd pull the divider oh, <laughs> like, no. 
<laughs> separate the two of them. Oh man. Oh, but no, well. like your girlfriend sounds like, you know, she really, you know, she's really intelligent. If she's in business, like, yeah, that's, that's a good partner to have. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, one of us should have went to business. <laughs> I know. We were dumb and we're like, you're going to business school, right? Wait, you didn't go to business school? <laughs> Who's going to do our taxes? Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so uh, to bring things around to more Crown and Anchor um, specifically, um, I guess a couple things that I um, wanted to bring up is there's a lot of world building. Um, and actually, I want to say I want to save that for later, actually, because I want to oh, we'll get into that. I will. We can maybe get into that in the book club part a little bit because sure. we're going to talk about because there's a lot of that involved there, too. And they're both yeah. very similar. And I don't want to get on that. Mm-hmm. But um, what were the differences between making volume one and volume two? Because um, at least for That's a good question mm-hmm. or I get uh, specifically kind of what I'm looking for uh, for both of you. But for like just in the little bit I've seen of volume two, there's more. Um, it's not color, but it's that gray. I don't know what you call it. Screen tone. Screen tones. There you go. I don't know how to do that. I don't, I want to do that, but I don't know how. Um, I can tell but, you how I do it. And it's probably not the right <laughs> way. I use Procreate. I don't know how to do it, but um, I don't, I've been, oh. I've been learning how to do digital. I don't, I'm not good at it either. I have Photoshop, but it's on my computer and I don't, it's a pirated version from when I was like, perfect. But um, <laughs> I, I, I don't also, yeah, but I, I will say I was a sophomore in college and I just like, I need Photoshop. I'm going to, I'm going to torn it. And then I've had it ever since. It's not like I've downloaded a new one. Like it's crap. It's old. It shuts down all the time. I had oh, to no. reinstall it. But oh, um, no. anyway, um, so why that change or what were just some of the differences between first and second volume or how has the story changed art-wise, story-wise, whatever? So I think at some point we're like, yeah, someday maybe Crown and Ink will be colored. But like, I also just... I wasn't sure if I wanted to use screen tones in the beginning or I was too scared to, I couldn't remember, but you know, it was a challenge because I don't, you know, I don't want my comics to go into the noir uh, field where everything is. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I can't, I don't want it to be so contrasted. You know, I like, I like having things seen and having a lot of details there, but it's also like, well, how can I, you know, make this work in black and white, but not confuse readers and still have them differentiate, you know, characters from the background and stuff. But screen tones absolutely help. I was experimenting with different brushes uh, towards like the end of book one, more yeah, textured brushes um, and screen tones a little bit. Um, and like, I was so intimidated because I'm like, am I going to ruin my art this way? Mm-hmm. But you know, after working on book six and really practicing with them, like issue six looks not great to me. That was when I first started screen tones. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, But then it, you know, it gets a bit better. I'm like, okay, now I know, you know, uh, I know what, I guess this is going to sound weird. I know what color everything is, but I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, using black and white. Mm. Um, That's what I struggle with is figuring out like, is this red or color? What kind of, you know, what shade? Yeah. Values. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, But like, it's, you know, it's just good to start. It's just good to try it. And, you know, if you don't try anything, you're not going to learn anything or develop Mm -hmm. any skills. So (laughs) a lot of people thought Heb was blonde and that Mac was white. And I'm like, no, Heb or, Mac just black and Heb's a brunette and 
you know, everything's wrong. And they just <laughs> remember the cover. They don't remember the cover. I'm like, their covers yeah. were on the cover. And so I was like, oh man. And then I get to book two and they're like, whoa, Heb's a brunette. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, he is. He's always been a brunette. Um, but, you know, I just, I love when manga uses like the darker screen tones, like you, they're really dense and, you know, they do just a w- wonderful, amazing effects with these screen tones, uh, the darker they go. And so I wanted to capture that as well. And I hope I can get better at them as I go along. Um, I honestly feel like I've had zero time to study anything comics or manga related because I've been so busy, but I want to keep studying and practicing and just make each book better and better with screen tones. Um, So yeah, I just, I just didn't use a lot of tools at my disposal in book one. Mm -hmm. I just basically used, you know, two brushes And then I was like, well, let me try out some manga brushes. Let me try out some textured brushes and like really make some effects. And a lot of those effects take the place of backgrounds. I like drawing backgrounds. Um, I feel like a page needs at least two backgrounds so that readers will stay grounded where where the characters are. Uh, But if it's a dramatic moment, you know, you could add whatever textures or whatever screen tones you want. And that will still you know, interest the reader and make it feel like a full completed page. Um, so like there's there's a lot of pages from Crown Anchor one that I still really like that are just black and white. There's <laughs> no no values or anything. Um, but I'm just like, you know, they probably would look a lot better with some screen tones. Mm-hmm. We'll do that for the deluxe edition. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll have a second printing of Crown Anchor one and be like, okay, now it fits the rest of the series. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. It's like the first trade of Walking Dead with Tony Moore, and then the rest goes to Charlie Adlard. You're like, what? Well, what happened? What's mm-hmm. going on here? Yep. Yeah, so that's our... that was my long answer, and I know I just talked about screen tones, but that's a big that difference. was Ooh. yeah, and I mean, I was. Okay, work was also a lot quicker before screen tones. <laughs> yeah, I got pages yeah. done like, you know, yeah. three or four a week. And now it's just like one or two a week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, screen tones take forever because like I use different layers of them. And I do this thing where one layer will be white screen tones and it's at 25%. And then I erase that layer where I want shadows to be. And so I'm just like, that adds more definition to my characters. Mm, yeah. Um, so really it's just cleanup and shading that takes the longest with my screen tones. And I'm sure it's so much easier in Clip Studio Paint. But if I'm being honest, there's a lot of screen tone work that I see people do that I just cringe because I'm like, I hate the density of the screen tone. It's mm-hmm. it's not enough. It, you know, I don't know how it's gonna look when it's printed. If you zoom in on the page, like it looks different when you zoom in, mm-hmm. whereas where you zoom out. And I cannot stand that. Yeah. So I have to know what it's going to look like when it's printed, um, which is why I use amazing Photoshop brushes by Kabocha. Uh, Shootingstars.com. She has a butt ton of manga and shoujo brushes. They're wonderful. Uh, And I use them outside of comic art too. So there you go. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the question. Can you repeat? I don't remember either. Can I try again? (laughs) Well, no, that was a really good answer, but I guess to direct that same question, but to direct it 
more maybe to maybe direction more towards hope. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a reason for the black and white? Or I, my question was about the difference in the coloring between the first two volumes. But is there a reason, mm-hmm. I guess, in general that it's black and white? Like, is that a is it like just a time thing, or was that just we don't want to pay a colorist? Or a, <laughs> I don't know um, how to color yet. This, color, yeah, the, this story is better. The quick answer is we didn't want to pay, and we didn't know how to yeah. color. Yeah. yeah. Then we kind of realized we were both very influenced by manga. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just call it like th- when we did the first trade, we were calling it like a North American manga because that's, you know, a lot of it was going into that kind of stuff. But yeah, the very, very simple answer is we can get it done a lot faster and a lot cheaper to mm-hmm. not pay a colorist. We're done broke. <laughs> and like, there's something, there's something undervalued about black and white comics yeah. in North America. Right. And mm-hmm. because of, how the comic industry is here there's a certain understanding that comics should be this way mm-hmm. and a lot of how i try to do stories is to be like well i you know i i accept that but i'm going to do it this way and that yeah. is i'm not going to do it in color because the other thing is the reason why alaire's work stood out to me is because it looks so good the way that it is mm-hmm. and uh I think it looks better with screen tones too. So yeah, yeah it's just like, this is, this is us. You get what yeah. we are able to do on the page and it's a hundred percent Tobin and Lair. Yeah. I've always excelled at black and white only. Like I'm still learning to color, but it's very, it's still very basic. Mm-hmm. And I honestly do not want to color comics yeah. because <sighs> there's so much that I don't understand about color yet. Well, other mm-hmm. people do. So hire those people. I was learning to flat once upon a time. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I can letter four to five pages an hour. It took me like two hours to flat a page. Which like, this should not, not be a thing. <laughs> but yeah, so like, slow. but even growing up, I never colored. It was always black and white. So mm-hmm. I got good at black and white. Yeah. Um, and there's so many talented colorists out there. So maybe one day when we do hardcover copies, we'll be like, all right, it's going to be colored and we'll kickstart it. But honestly, I think I'm too picky to be like, I can't picture specific art like color style for crown and anchor yeah, we talk about this all the time so it's it would just be so hard to choose because i don't want to regret it because coloring is like it changes everything you yeah. know yeah again the the walking dead is being colored and it's completely different yeah mm-hmm. the last thing yeah. i was going to say about the screen tones is i feel like book two is like how the book is was meant to look yeah, yeah. Not just because it falls more in line with manga, but it, it really just brings those characters to life. You get that much more depth and that much more immersion into the story because it's not just like, I remember I remember reading Shonen Jump when I was a teenager and my sister was like, do, can I, do I color it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so there is that kind of like void that you kind of feel mm-hmm. reading book one. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's still, it's still there and, and the story is told well. But then you go to book two and you're like, okay, it feels, it just has that kind of visual effect that is like, it's completed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I would a hundred percent agree with that. That's nothing, nothing against the book one at all, but it, it's just mm-hmm. that, that when the little bit I've seen of two, it was just like that. It looks like that's what it's, it's like. a game that changer. Was, yeah. yeah. Just like you said, it looks like that's what it's meant to look like. And maybe that's because I'm so used to seeing manga in that style, but mm-hmm. either way, just, it was like, that's it. Um, but I, I, only, I have about three more questions, then we can uh, move on to the next segment. But I mean, do you guys have a certain amount of time you need to be out of here? Nah, we oh, our bedtime is far from now. <laughs> okay. Well, um, uh, the last question I want to ask specifically about Crown and Anchor is that Volume One, not to spoil anything, ends on a big note. It ends on a very dramatic event happening. 
Like, mm-hmm. is there any um, pressure or um, like to, I mean, I know you said you had this, the very long story plan. I, I don't know, like, it seems it's a very, I don't know, for lack of a better word, very ballsy move to like, to, <laughs> it feels like to end the first volume of your story on like a, a, a big moment. Like, I don't know, I guess, I don't, I guess I don't know what my question is, but what's a big I, old cliffhanger. Yeah. Like how, what's the, like, thought, is it, were you just like, yeah, we, we, you knew that's what you wanted to do. That's a great question. I, I haven't thought about that for I a long time. I was going to say, it's also okay to spoil a little bit of book one because it's, it's been out for like four out. years. Yeah. So don't even worry cool. about it. Okay. So the, yeah. So book one ends with a mysterious figure showing up and destroying the ship. After getting offended at Heb shaking a fishing pole <laughs> oh, yeah. at him and That's thinking it's a powerful weapon. So my philosophy and my writing um, practice with any, whether it's a single issue or a trade, is essentially you want to present you want to present information that causes the reader to want more rather than leaving your your characters in a precarious situation of like are they going to live or die because that's overdone so back in 2015 i was at an image expo and brian k vaughn was there and somebody asked him a question about how he comes up with his last pages for saga specifically and he says the main thing, and I, he, I think he said he learned this from writing Lost. So, you know, I've never watched all of Lost, but whatever. Um, he says he avoids schmuck bait. <laughs> and what he said that means is, you know, oh, your character is dangling from a ledge and they have an arrow in their back. Are they going to make it to the next? Well, it's your main character. So obviously yeah. they're probably going to last. Yeah. Right? And of, of course, there's been some wonderful books from Image that completely subverts that, which mm-hmm. is awesome. I love reading a story and the main Same. character dies and you're like, oh, all right. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm into my this. Friends, let's, let's my friends go. don't get that when I'm like, no, please kill off the main character. Do something crazy. And my friends yeah. are like, why would you kill him off? I'm like, no, like they need to. I, just, I, mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to interrupt you. I just no, it's great. I'm so, very passionate about that. No, so, it's wonderful. Love passion. And it's um, and then Jonathan Hickman argued that the revelation of information causes more suspense than the withholding of information, right? And so I, I don't demonstrate that super well at the at the end of book one because you know they're not going to die. Spoilers, but it's more that event is more who that character that they meet is. And the revelation of him, and it kind of prolongs that mystery because book starts, book six starts, or book two, sorry, issue six, book book two, starts with them being like, "Well, what was that?" And you get mm-hmm. to you pass that baton over, and that's part of the world building and stuff. So it's it's less about I, the the purpose was not to have readers go, oh, "Are they going to make it to the next book?" and more them likewise to go who was that person what was mm-hmm. that person what was that all about and then that is what the kind of mystery is for the next round so yeah it's um i try to design that for issues and story or for uh, volumes but then on like a very micro level of comic storytelling every right hand page at the bottom there should be that as well. The last panel you see on the right-hand page before you turn the page should have that same kind of effect because every right-hand page is a last page in the sequence of being Mm -hmm. the the double page um, sequence, right? So if you really want to get like crazy good as a comic writer, that's how you need to structure all of it so that you get to that last page or that last panel on the right-hand page you're so riveted by what's going on that you you have to turn the page. Mm-hmm. So it's all that kind of 
micro macro all the way through like the entire story kind of thing mm -hmm. um i mean that's something i definitely need to work on as far as thinking about that the whole way through um but i i, have, I only have two more questions two more main questions and they don't they're two questions that don't really fit in anywhere else um so i'm just gonna ask them. um what does it mean for you guys because um i think you might have both mentioned i don't remember um to study like when it comes to comics because that's something like i <laughs> tell myself i'm gonna do and then oh. like i end up just like reading a comic and like flipping through it really fast and like okay i read it and i'm just like <laughs> i don't i don't know like wh what does that mean to you guys how do you uh, like go about that i don't know i'm not i don't know if i'm expecting a big answer here but i just oh, it's something one. that's been oh, interesting God. okay go for it then um alert constraint i mean okay Tobin reads trades in like 30 minutes and it takes mm -hmm. me two hours because I'm literally trying to soak in everything that's happening. Uh, like all the art, all the coloring, all the details, and then also trying to read the story. So like that's, you know, that's one way to study, but like, I haven't read, what's it called? Making Under comics, understanding, understanding comics. You know, I haven't studied the history of manga and why, they set up pages the way they do or how they tell stories. I just recognize patterns mm -hmm. and tropes and stuff, but like to really sit down and study, I have not done that. Um, the only things I've really done is like I draw and if I can't draw something, I get a reference and I trace <laughs> it. I trace the parts I need. That is how I learn how to draw new things. Cause I'm really bad at eyeballing things. Um, I'm much more of a muscle memory person. That's why she wears glasses. That's right. <laughs> uh, if I can draw something enough times, I will just be able to draw it from memory because I remember what it feels like. Um, but yeah, to sit down and study and actually read about how to make comics and the whys and do's and don'ts. I mean, you learn the rules so you can break them. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still good to know the rules so you can break them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I just, I haven't given myself the time. I haven't taken the time because I, I have too many things to do and not enough time to do them. But then I think, no, I have my whole life to do this. Like there's no deadline. Ugh. I mean, it's okay to have soft deadlines for yourself. Like <laughs> I'd like to get this done by this time, but to hold yourself to them. Um, I don't think it's a very good idea because I stress myself out so much because I'm like, I have to have this done by a certain time, but then life happens and life is wonderful. You should not mm -hmm. just wish it away thinking I got to hit this deadline. That's, you know, that's not a great mentality to be in, but it's hard to get out of too. Um, but yeah, just, just taking the time to be like, I'm going to study this panel or this book and be like, okay, my favorite artist does this. And I want to copy that, or I want to try my own spin on this. Uh, I've been reading Once in Future, and okay, first of all, there's so much going on that it's hard for me to keep up with the story when yeah. I'm also trying to study the art. Uh, mm. But I love Dan Mora's art so much, and there's so many things I know I can learn from him and want to learn from him. So I just need to spend more time with comics, you know, yeah, actually reading them. Doesn't read a, a whole lot of comics. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's not hard to read them. It's just hard to have time to read them. Yeah. But to me, that is studying, just sitting down. And, you know, if I had a Sharpie, I would just circle things or dog ear pages and be like, I want to come back to this and do this or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, if that makes sense. So that's my super long answer. <laughs> 
for me studying comics so i'm very much into the theory of comics it was actually what i did most of my masters about was comic theory comic studies so stuff like mcleod and douglas wolk and um uh, there's a couple others who talk about the mechanics of it but from early on as a writer i was very interested in how people scripted so i was very obsessed with uh finding how uh, like Brian Michael Bendis, how did he script? How does Kirkman script? How does Hickman script? Because I was, you know, I thought that there was some revelation to be had by finding out how these like masters do it. Turns out there's not. <laughs> um, and I, I do think that there is value in McLeod and these other theorists as a creator because they're explaining the mechanics and closure and gestalt theory and, and the gutter and all that kind of stuff, right? The kind of again, under the hood things that happen in comics. But kind of like a layer, when I read a book, one of the reasons why I go through it so fast is because if I can recognize how they're guiding me without you know, big signposts, then that is, a, is an effective story. If there's nothing that causes you to, to go, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm confused, I'm lost, then they know what they're doing. So then you go back a second time and you start to deconstruct it. So for example, there's a story, not a story, there's an issue of East of West, believe it's or number 35, issue 35. And there's a scene where someone takes out a machine gun or it's like a, a Gatling gun and they shoot this character and he like puts his sword in the ground. And it's only a three or four panel page. It's very, very minimal. But the way that they trick you into spending a lot of time is how the bullets hit the sword and that causes almost an animation within a, a static panel. Right. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff is like, Holy crap, you can cheat. And inside of a panel, you can have multiple things going on. Like uh, ultimate Spider-Man does this too. Mark Bagley will draw Spider-Man doing flips and swinging and they kind of ghost the, the previous images. And then the one who's speaking typically is the one that's solid. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can cheat and you can add more action and, and motion into that kind of stuff. And then storytelling wise, uh, a lot of where I learned is listening to podcasts and interviews like you do yourself. Right. That's that's where I learned a lot of the tips and tricks and philosophies is listening to Jonathan Hickman talk about how he writes and how he approaches storytelling. Kieran Gillen, um, Rick Remender, uh, Joshua Williamson, this, the writers that really influenced me because I'm very much a writer in comics and in um, just literature in general who believes that the, the author is not dead. They hold a lot of information that can be gleaned and, and of value. And so I would do that a lot on car rides. We'd go, we'd be driving around the States, uh, back when we were in university listening to these kind of podcasts. And I don't know if Alaire really <laughs> took in a lot of it. Probably no, not, not really. But <laughs> But we're at the point where like, because I understand that kind of stuff. And I think that's why I script really loosely is because when she's drawing Karen and Anchor, I can say, okay, what I want to do here is, you know, frame it this way so that when they turn the page, like this is what they're seeing on this side or, you know, there's that kind of stuff. Hmm. So half of it is understanding the theory, I think with anything. And then the other half is kind of understanding who the top um, players are right in that sense. And then it's really just like, we've kind of been mentioning really early on, do a draft, put it out there. If it lands great, if not try again and just keep 
doing that kind of stuff. You got to put in your 10,000 hours to, to gain mastery over it. And that takes a long time. So, yeah, you basically just studied from uh, guys in the industry when you were doing whatever. Yeah. So lots of advice. And Ad- yeah, advice could totally be studying because mm-hmm. that's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, like my, I guess I also listen to a lot of like a list to a lot of interviews. I get a lot out of doing these interviews as well. Um, that's part of why I wanted to start the podcast is because I get, get a lot out of asking people questions, but, um, I don't know, like I said, my biggest thing is just struggling. Like if I, I, I don't know, like if I go pick up, you know, Alan Moore's swamp thing or something like I like some, or any book that like I like by someone I, I enjoy or like the flash by Fran or anything by Francis Manville because he's, oh, he's so good. Um, yeah. So that I need, I'm going to try to get him on the podcast if I can. I don't know. How <laughs> to do that. I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to, you have to ask Treat him. Yep. I, I do, but he's so, I love him. Um, but no, <laughs> he um, like, I actually, he has some great YouTube videos, which I really appreciated um, about mostly about his cover work, but um, oh, like cool. just um, like just if I sit down to read his book, I get too caught up in just, flipping the pages and following the story and not enough in like, okay, how, what is he doing here structurally? And that, that's kind of my big thing is taking the, forcing myself to not rush through it and worry about the story and just to focus on what's like the, the theory side of it, the, the, um, the construction of it, the, the, how it's composition. made, you know? yeah. the composition, yeah. that's the word I couldn't think so of. So what I would recommend in that instance, and this is going to sound really weird when you're, when you're reading, take, a piece of paper and cover the right-hand page and then take another piece of paper and cover the other and slide down as you read. So you're blocking out everything else because mm-hmm. then you're literally seeing a panel by panel construction. Then you see the whole page mm-hmm. and then you reveal the other page. Cause really what a, what a page is, is a, a panel. And then what a double page spread is, is a panel, right? The composition is all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you can learn how to structure all that stuff just by seeing you know, are they saying a lot of words in a little panel? Are they saying a little bit of words in a big panel? Like how are they doing mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And doing that on like a panel by panel basis would help. And do that as many times as you need to. Like mm-hmm. when I was saying I'll read Tobin scripts multiple times and like the first time I'll be really excited because I just read a story and the second time I actually go through and see like, you know, what are the flaws? Well, yeah, where are the flaws? <laughs> but like I start to deconstruct things, right? Like it's, it's not going to happen on the first try. It might happen on the third try, you know, um, that's just, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the last thing I have, and again, it doesn't fit in anywhere, um, is I just something I, I don't know. Other people might be curious about the uh, Phoenix Comics Collective. Like, what's that about? Talk about that. Let me know what's, sure. what's going on. So, what's the plans? I don't know. How, how involved are you guys? I don't, I don't know. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to know. Did the other guys not talk about it? Shame on mm, you. No, they didn't. They didn't mention it. <gasps> okay. I, I meant Leslie. to. I put, it was on my list or it was on like in my head and then I just never did it. Oh, that's okay. Um, so so I made Phoenix, myself ask. Nah, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you okay. what it's all about. So Phoenix Comics Collective is right now kind of this digital studio of a bunch of us different indie creators just doing our own thing. And our, you know, the main basis is just you know, having creators come together in a very inclusive, wholesome, loving place where we can just create comics for anybody. Um, you know, hate is not allowed <laughs> in any in any sense. 
And, you know, we want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, you know, if you're making comics, then you are one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now we're just trying to, you know, boost each other. We're trying to be like, Hey, you got a Kickstarter. Let's, you know, let's get it out there. Let's help people see it. Uh, let's band together and like help you succeed. And we want to keep doing that the more that we grow and expand and hopefully like accept more and more members Um, because we don't want it to be, you know, a boys club. We don't Mm -hmm. really want it to be a club, but we do want it to just be a place where anyone can feel like they belong and do what they love. Um, Eventually we'll, you know, try to have our own branding at conventions. We'll try to have more live streaming events um, just so we can all you know, come together and get to know each other Mm -hmm. and get to know more creators and support each other. Um, Our current site, you know, has comics that collective members have done. And if you go to those comics, you know, it'll direct you to places where you can support them or buy them. Um, We have a monthly live stream called a sit and sketch that's hosted by Mark, who's a wonderful person. Um, and I think the last time we had it, we really pushed it and people actually showed up and it was really cool. Um, so yeah, right now we're still, we're still just figuring things out and still building things up, but eventually we would love to just, you know, have so many people like as many as possible, just coming together and making comics. Um, you know, and our website also has resources and tools for, you know, writers, artists, colorists, letterers. You know, there's fulfillment, there's Kickstarter stuff, there's convention stuff, there's getting started stuff. So whatever level you're at, we want to make sure we have helpful resources for anyone who wants to, you know, uh, create what they want and, you know, to just do it. You know, we (laughs) all of us have, you know, made mistakes along the way and have learned from those mistakes. But we hope by just being there, you know, we can we can help people not make so many mistakes and just keep them informed and be transparent. So essentially it's just, you know, a group of us trying to make comics a lovelier place. Um, Cause there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on and mm. we're like, no comics shouldn't be like this. Yeah. It's gotta be better. So. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I like to say, that's the greatest. Like I said, I just, well, I, not just for myself, but just other people might, you know, in tears. I don't know. I just thought it was something to bring up, especially the main reason. Well, the main reason that made me think of y'all is because um, if I remember right, Pilgrim Surge was the first thing that y'all did. The first yeah. Kickstarter that came out of that kind of. And so that's kind of, that was like that was my train of thought. Um, but like I said, I we will take a really quick break and then we will be right back with the book club. Woo-hoo, book club. All right, and we're back. And today we're talking about Outer Darkness um, by crap. I forgot to write it down. Jonathan, John, John Lehman and Afuchan. I was Afu-chan. about to say Jonathan Lehman. Gosh, I, mean, I don't think he complained. Um, mm. So here's why I'm mad. You guys made me read this, and I'm upset because the ending. We can <laughs> we're gonna spoil the whole thing, but I'm upset because <laughs> there is no ending. Yes, I know. Yes, yeah. I know. You guys were like, yeah, read this thing. It's only twelve issues. It's great. And then I read it and I was like, what? Where's the rest of it? Well, first I was reading and I was like, how are they gonna wrap this up in like three issues? Like, this is crazy. Like, there's gonna, this must be like a short, there must, something must happen. And then nothing happened. And I was like, wait a minute. 
yeah. and they got to the end and I was then I googled it and they were like no this is canceled because it didn't get enough sales and it's not I even know. creator owned so he can't kickstart it and I was like <gasps> is that what happened it's, it's through skybound yeah. <gasps> it's skybound so it's skybound. not shame not on you image. so technically oh, Robert no. Kirk, it's all Robert Kirkman's fault so yeah oh blame no. him um Gosh. yeah I guess um <laughs> Didn't yeah know that so outer darkness is a I'm gonna find a summary real fast Oh, man. Uh, I can't find it. I love this freaking Matthew book so much. Matthew, <laughs> Let me find a, a good summary. <laughs> Sci-fi and horror collide in this new series from the co-creator of Chu. Mankind has colonized galaxy during interstellar travels. We discovered a terrifying secret and out in the outer darkness of space. Join Captain Joshua Rigg and the crew of Starship Charon, Karen, Karan. I've never known how to pronounce Karen. that name. <laughs> way too many options. I know. As they encounter demonic possessions, haunting, cosmic horror, and more. All-star writer John Lehman and artist Afu Chan are ready to let you know the outer space is terrifying. Got that off the image website. Um, I did not. I'm not that smart. Um, so I loved it, obviously. Um, I think the part that I liked most about it was the world building in it. And that's kind of what I was <laughs> alluding to earlier. And I think it's something that Crown and Anchor does as well. Um, it just kind of drops you in the middle of this crazy world, doesn't really explain it. And it's just like, but it doesn't need to be explained. You know, it's just like, this mm -hmm. is the way it is. Yep. And this is the book. So I guess um, if you guys want to, I don't know, give me your thoughts. Why this book? Uh, what, what's up? <laughs> I love the premise of this freaking book mm -hmm. because demons power spaceships and. No, he's a god. Oh, yeah, that he's a in demon itself, god. Demon god. He's, right. Yeah. That in itself was just the coolest thing to me. The and fact that, they just have a god. Yeah. And, oh, so cool. and that <laughs> demons can board your ship, but you have to have exorcists on board and just like, it's crazy. Yeah, the fact that they did away with, you know, laser beams and lightsabers mm -hmm. and instead it's mathematicians and exorcisms and stuff. And alchemists like, and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. it's incredible. That kind of... And not It's not subversion, but that kind of uh, iteration on sci-fi... Because a lot of what appeals to me about image books is this genre mashing, right? East and mm -hmm. West is a, a sci-fi Western yep. and the list goes on and on. But I picked up this book and was like, whoa, this is something that is not seen elsewhere, right? Because yep. most people really lean into the Star Trekiness of stuff, right? You have all those things on Netflix where it's really just parodies of, of Star Trek. And obviously he's doing that here, but he's doing it with a layer that, is mm -hmm. very uncommon mm -hmm. and i would well, even say uncommon in comics like you have a, a certain amount of horror comics but definitely not like this you move. well yeah. i think it's it's part of that's like what you mentioned earlier that there's no new ideas like i think this is 100 percent <laughs> a new idea like yes. i've never seen anything that's demons and alchemists and quantum exorcists or whatever in <laughs> quantum uh, whatever they call them in in space that's also star trek that's also mm -hmm. you know uh, I can't think of a good exorcism show. Um, uh, uh, supernatural, and that's not a good answer. Um, but <laughs> something enough. like that. Yeah, that's this is new. Like you said earlier, it's not new. This is a new idea. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And maybe that's another reason why it's so amazing because it's, yeah, it's its own thing. And Afuchan's art is just mm -hmm. so freaking good. Well, that's one thing I noticed about it is the 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 art has it has a lot of really like really bold lines like really mm -hmm. they're very thick you know like i feel like a lot it's thicker than i think we see a lot in comics yes you see a lot of really narrow you know thin really streamlined stuff and this is very clunky kind of that's the best word i can think of to describe it 
it's not completely accurate, but it's very, you know, it's very geometric. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's very, it's not, doesn't have that streamlined look. So I think that gives, that adds to part of that uniqueness of the whole thing. Yeah. He, he just has a wonderful way of adding just enough detail and then his colors kind of take care of the rest. And then he colors the actual line work, just that helps a ton. It just makes everything so pretty, but yeah, everything's so, so thick, but just, (laughs) yeah, it's just so freaking good. And I, it has, it goes a little all over the place with, or not all over the place, but it's, it does, but it it doesn't, (laughs) it's not super, it's not super actiony. You know, it's no. not, but it, when it does, it does have a few really good action beats that are, when they're there, it's, they're there, you know, like they're really good. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, just the way that they're, that he builds them and constructs, com- composes those pages is, it's really, they're there. And, and there is more horror than, it's just all, it does all these genres very well. And it balances them all in a Absolutely. very um, unique way. He has a pretty diverse cast, even though some of them are mm-hmm. aliens. He's still, you know, lots of off chance, yeah, lots of different shapes. Mm-hmm. Great character design, yeah, just and, absolutely wonderful. And that that's part of one of my notes on the the diverse part was just he handles an ensemble very well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like you could get lost very easily in um, having all these characters, but they're all you. They even the ones that don't get a lot of focus, they still feel like realized yeah Mm -hmm. they all kind of have their moments throughout the book Mm -hmm. just to characterize them bit by bit yeah um but yeah i I need to read this again because (laughs) (laughs) it's been a while and i think that building in bit by bit is part of that whole world building thing which i guess uh is like you guys did with or you done with crown and anchor like what's i don't know like is there what do you think as far as world building or I don't, I, I'm bad at how do we approach questions. it? Ha- yeah. How do you approach it? There you go. I'm bad. So at this. I believe that the most successful stories are ones that you come to not at the beginning, but it's also not in media res. It, it feels like you're coming into something that is, has existed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, outer darkness does start in media res where you start with that scene of uh, kind of how things were. But the you know he's not he's not ever explaining like in twenty seven forty four yes. this organization began right it's we're not there when the wheel was made we're there when this character's when this phase of this character's life started mm-hmm. so that's the same thing we do with Crown and Anchor right we start in the third epoch of this world this world has existed for a long long time and rather than start with a bunch of captions saying in in the beginning there was this and this and you know we kind of mm-hmm. riff on that eventually but i found it to be much more exciting by just saying here's the the inciting incident right from a writer standpoint you start with what's called the normal mm-hmm. and then you have the inciting incident and that's what upsets and actually gets them onto the thing so you have to show kind of their mundane day-to-day so they're fishing blah blah and then the inciting incident is here's kind of the rest of the world coming into it and so rather than, and that's the other thing is as a reader, I think it's really boring, not boring. It can be boring, but jarring to be like, you know, characters are talking, things are moving. And then all of a sudden you get this info dump of mm-hmm. how the world needs to be. It's much more exciting to just carry on that action and drama and you get things bit by bit. Cause it's um, one of the things that I was taught. One of the, another, you know, anecdotal kind of thing is like a good writer 
does not leave the reader so full that they never want to come back to the table. They give them just enough that all of the flavors were present and they actually leave hungry for more. Yeah. So whatever that actually looks like. In terms well, I know of writing, what that feels like gonna... when I'm reading something and I'm like, there's so much here. Like I can barely well, that's, go yeah. to the next page. Cause I'm like, I need to process all of this stuff right now, but I just, but I want to keep reading. That's how this conversation started by being angry that we don't have more, right? That's yeah. the sign yeah. Of, yeah. of a successful story being told yeah. is that we want to keep being immersed in this world and find out more. Mm-hmm. So, so we're sorry, but we're not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the, the world building in this is really effective because it's, again, this is another classic writer thing. You're showing, not telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You see right off the bat, you see um, kind of what's capable in this world. And I love it because, I mean, as somebody who's not really a science fiction fan, be- probably because of Star Trek, the way that he riffs on, you know, like Captain on the Bridge and like those kind of traditional things that star trek does i love when they're like pump the demon core this many degrees like they they yeah. kind of layer that yeah. language on top of it because that's that's their normal and mm-hmm. so as a reader you're seeing that and instead of being confused and wanting explanation you're just forced to accept that this is how it is and then that first issue especially is like here's the responsibilities of a captain here's what the role of a captain is here's how the ship is powered right and like you obviously mm-hmm. get the sense that if they have a god on board like what is this society capable of that they can harness gods and yeah and they don't of- explain it and it's yeah. wonderful that they don't explain it they yeah. don't explain like why are demons in space why are mm-hmm. they getting into the ship yeah why are they doing this? and one of the things this is like my new goal as a writer is rather than set up something and have the payoff be two pages later you set up a bunch of this stuff so that 20 issues down the road you have a wealth of options to make Mm -hmm. things interconnected east Mm -hmm. of west does this phenomenally where you know he does 45 issues i believe of story and there's stuff in the you know in the issues of 40 through 45 that he introduced in the first 10 issues and you're like holy cow it all and that kind of synergy and interconnectedness within a story makes you as a reader feel really satisfied because all of the work that you've put in getting to that point now is worth it rather than mm-hmm. him being like oh the the solution to this whole problem was something just off stage, right? It's not a deus ex machina. Like the answers have always been there and we're waiting for that. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I was going to say about world building is book one is very sequential. Mm -hmm. Book two, so issues seven through 12, he almost does one and dones, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, here's a focus on this character and here's how this bizarreness works. And here's a focus on this character. And here's how, like my favorite issue is when they go to the satellite or maybe it's the one where they come back, but the the plants are infecting the ship and it's yeah. like the weird kind of shared dream. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. It's just, it's just yeah. so beautiful because it's a great exploration of character motivations and everybody's kind of onto one another now. Yeah. yeah. No one but trusts then, each other. But then it's also a dream. So he kind of subverts that cliche and that trope of it too. But he he really slows the pace in book two, which I, I think makes the ending that much more painful because he really mm-hmm. hits the brakes and then it's just done. And so you're like, no, yeah. I want that that next like ramp up into the action. Oh, uh, yeah. And he, I, I, he, I kind of, well, similar to what you just, like how every story is kind of its own, like, Every story, I like that everyone kind of starts off in a flashback or a flash forward or a something else. And it does the 10 hours later thing. 
But yeah, I do he, think he does that, that a lot in Chu. Yeah, he really perfected he that okay. in Chu. I I, do, I just think that that um that having that the way of doing those those one offs is a really good way to build. That's kind of what I'm trying to do with um, some things I'm working on. But I uh, what d- and you mentioned the the talking about the God engine earlier. I the, I 100 believe that that was gonna bite him in the butt somehow oh yeah but um yes but yeah, um, doesn't book two end with him saying like i want the karen and i want to feed him to the to yeah the engine like yes. he's gonna like yeah, yeah. it's well it's the, but like i guess yeah. what do you think um and maybe this is me being dumb but um what was the like the the i don't know if it was hard for me to with the way it ended and maybe i just am too close to it and haven't had enough time to think <laughs> to sit on it yet but um because i just finished it today during my plan but um it what was what's kind of what do you think his goal was aim, like aim was as far as the theme or the moral or rigs arc or something because i don't know like i said i i haven't had time to you know think about it i bet if you gave me a couple days about ah oh, there's where it, yeah duh but <laughs> do you have any thoughts about that um all i'm remembering from this is that he wanted to be with someone but she chose someone else and now the son like his love interest daughter is on board so he has to deal with her like just the, yeah, it's the, a reminder that he lost yeah, basically yeah, yeah. and just i know he's doing some sort of redemption that he doesn't want to do like what happened to his last crew or something I well yeah we, he, we haven't told what happened to his last his like okay. his last official crew but like something terrible happened mm-hmm. and it seems like it was his fault and yeah. just I know they, this is going to be a redemption story, but also just like a guess, dealing yeah, with a, just dealing with things not going your way story I don't and think, being okay with it. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he was going to get redemption. That's what I'm not sure. Maybe I don't know not. if he was going to. I yeah. think I think he was going to fail. I kind of because that's I kind of what I thought. I think the morale or the morale. I think the moral is sometimes you fail. And you just have to learn to live with it. Yeah. Right. And that's what's amazing in that world is that if somebody dies, you can technically go and chase their soul and reanimate them, right? Mm-hmm. Or reincarnate them or whatever the, yeah. the verb is that they use. But with his, because <laughs> we talked about this a little bit before with Heb being not the greatest character at the start. He's terrible. <laughs> Josh, like Captain Rig, is really not a good character. Yeah. Right. And like we do kind of root for him because there are worse characters, arguably, but it's really just kind of contrasting how this person treats this person, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that that kind of character, I don't think him specifically would achieve redemption. And that's kind of what Layman does, especially in Chu, is like a lot of people get close, but then they fail at the end, or it's like not you know, it's not a full kind of redemption. It's like, I'm going to sacrifice myself so that you can get help or, you know, that kind of stuff. But I really don't think that it was going to end with him being reunited and they- That probably would have been- Arm in arm, dance through the- No, that probably would have been better because some things you can't ever fix. And some things Mm -hmm. people are not going to forgive you for. So like, you just have to deal with that and do the best you can- despite what's happened and with if, what Tobin said. If you yeah. want to pull this into the religious stuff so that we can come full circle, the name Outer Darkness, I think there's like a handful of comics yeah. where there's... Well, I was going to say, when I just Googled it, Outer Darkness, it's like some verse in Matthew, like 22, yeah, 13 Matthew. or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So this this is a comic where the naming convention matches so well with the theme. Yeah. Because Outer Darkness in the Matthew verse 
corresponds to, you know, Christian conceptions of hell. Mm-hmm. but he relates it to space, right? What is a physical manifestation of outer darkness? Well, that's space. And so it's also kind of um, Orpheus and Eurydice when him he goes to hell to get her back. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what he's playing with here. And so you don't go into the underworld and come back the same person. Yeah. Typically, you come back worse. Like the two of them never really reunited, Orpheus no. and Eurydice. No. And so by doing that, you know, he's abandoning in, in the book by going into hell, right? He breaks all these rules to find this person. Odds are, based on storytelling tradition, that's not supposed to end well because you don't want to teach your readers you can do this and be rewarded for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, outer darkness makes sense because, well, actually, I was going to say the demons make sense because. If it's hell we're talking about, that's where, you know, demons thrive. And that's where they harass you for eternity. (laughs) So it's just like, it's really cool. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does. He does a lot of meta commentary about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I have one more, well, two more questions. One's a more of a composition type question. And then one's, you know, a not, um, I, I, I guess this is more for Tobin because he letters, but either one of you, mm-hmm. I guess they're the, it's something I noticed and I don't know if there's a reason for it or like if they do anything differently, you seem to be like more knowledgeable. Um, the borderless balloons, like in the book, like, is there like a purpose for that? Do you think, or is that just a, is it just a style thing? Or is there like a, like a reason? I don't know. I think it's, it's just aesthetic. So Mm -hmm. I followed Pat, Pat Brosu, I believe is how you, I never remember how to say his last name. Brosu? No, I think it's Brosu. Sorry. Brosu. I saw, I remember when he was working on this, he tweeted his earlier versions you know, he, he did, I think, four or five compositions and sent them in. And I think it has to do with matching the aesthetic of the mm-hmm. art. Um, you probably could have done something like if you've read Folklords, they do a very strange oh, uh, stroke in that. And like Nate Picos does kind of variating strokes these days to match the aesthetic. But I think the borderless works because when I look at it, it kind of sits flush with the art better. And I think if there was the black, it would almost be competing too much with how the colors are kind of grainy. Mm -hmm. And the way that the balloon is kind of, it's not very wobbly, but it has just enough shape that it just kind of matches the rest of the aesthetic. Yeah, I think it would compete with the line art too Mm -hmm. much because the lines are very thick in the line art and it would just be kind of overpowering. And like Alaire said, he colors the line art in a lot of Mm -hmm. scenes. And so by Mm -hmm. having like a really rich black, I think it would just, it would almost make it look like the art was sitting on top rather than being part of the scene. It would would be kind of on top of it, which Mm -hmm. is weird to... Yeah, but like everything is really smooth there's nothing really too textured other than you know what he does with the lines and you know so the borderless balloons just work so well because mm-hmm. everything is so smooth anyways um like you know it, it isn't a heavily shaded comic it feels very light you mm-hmm. know despite whatever colors he uses so a light balloon would make sense that's yeah. my layman uh <laughs> thoughts on that and then it contrasts like if you really want to dig into the lettering, there's a lot of weird stuff they do. So sound effects are typically black with a white stroke. Mm-hmm. And so that's, again, kind of you're inverting what typical balloons are, which would be white with a black stroke. So anything that is um, 
onomatopoetic, which is the sound, is what typically we see with balloons. So they're subverting it that way. Captions in terms of location and time are just the white text. So you get that correlation. But then you get this weird stuff. And I just found an example where it's like galactic service report log. So then you have like a, that's in the sense like the true narrator, because that's the um, the official kind of government report coming down. And so mm -hmm. that's where it's like structured and there's a border and it has that kind of appearance to say like, mm -hmm. this isn't a character speaking. This is the position of power uh, mandating these events, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like all that stuff. Yep. So, well, yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I mean, I think part of it is the, cause one thing I was always, I was told with lettering is that you want the balloon to match the width of the art, the lines, or to give mm -hmm. you close. And so in this case, that would be, it would, would be very competitive because those lines are so bold. So thick. Yeah, exactly. And that would be a big part of it. Um, so last question on Out of Darkness. Um, a favorite moment or scene or a specific issue or favorite character? I, hang on, go. Is fine. Mine would be, I would just reiterate, mine would be that one. I think it's, it's either eight or nine. I don't remember exactly where it is, but uh, it's kind of it's kind of a two-parter. So they go into this satellite or, or derelict vessel and this like seed comes back with them and then it starts to germinate on the ship and they have this kind of shared dream. It's just it's just beautiful storytelling because you believe that it's real and then it's for like five or six pages, you're really into, okay, there's something really weird going yeah. on here and then it cuts to like the, you know, now or reality i don't remember how he well, labeled it, it what it says is it says um i'm looking at it it's issue 10 he okay. says today and then the panel underneath it says also today yeah and then it says mm -hmm. now and then also now yeah and it's that's very one, layman yeah <laughs> it's yeah I that really kind of like stuff that. uh, that's that's one of the things that drew me to chew is being able to mess with time in comics and i i don't feel like i have a, a, an understanding of how to do that well with my stories but i love that because you start to set up those dual narratives or not dual narratives. Um, uh, what would the better term be? Uh, consecutive narratives, I guess. Yeah. Um, and he, he just does that. So well, like, he's such a master at that. And it's just such, it's such a visual treat to be like, here's one reality. And then here's the other reality. Mm -hmm. And you're going to kind of jump back and forth. But yeah. the way that he uses that to actually progress the narrative rather than just kind of this thought experiment is super satisfying. So as a layer digs for hers, what was yours? Oh, mine. Um, well, I don't, I didn't have necessarily a favorite issue. I just had a favorite character. Well, I guess mm -hmm. his issue, I don't know where, what issue it was, but um, um, Elox or whatever mm -hmm. his name was, the navigator. <laughs> love that that's dude. Three or four. He's oh yeah. The issue where he, um, where we find out like that he was a God and that he'd been worshiped and that he was like this whole other thing that, again goes back to that aspect where they don't really explain it but they do like yeah. i don't know i just i really i just for one thing i got a kick out of him the whole time and the <laughs> the name gag but yes I, oh my just, goodness just him and then that issue is just really interesting to me that he was just some and then i don't know i again wanting to go back to wanting to know the rest of the comic like i want to know like what where was he i don't know i feel like there was something else he there was it was building to something but it was building to a lot of things so Mm -hmm. the Ewok stuff always made me laugh because yeah when mm -hmm. someone gets your name wrong it just makes you feel ugh inside because <laughs> yeah. it kind of it's embarrassing and it kind of takes away 
like kind of your own power in a way. So every time he gets Elox's name wrong, he's just like losing a bit more of his <laughs> mm-hmm. seriousness. And... and then you know he's doing it on purpose too. I that know. It's so yeah. good. I am looking at the end of this one issue where you see Sato Shin and uh-huh. he's carving runes into himself. And I just yeah. noticed all these demonic faces in the background. It's really creeping yeah, me no. out. Uh, Alastor Satalis has been my favorite. He's the red demon-y yeah. looking crewman. And then I really like Malona, his Hidzek. Uh, she's the one that looks like Gardevoir p- from Pokemon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think she's really cool. Um, and I do like Satoshin, even though he gets really cool. He's he's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I think so what you're cool. look with the thing that you're looking at is that another detail that I liked, really liked about it was I like the cast sheet or the personnel file, whatever on the yes. back that has the list of all the people and the names. And it was really helpful to me. I yeah, really appreciated it. You have the mortician and the oracle and mm-hmm. the exorcist and the mathematician. I'm like, that's so that's so fun and so and original, there were you know? there were some of them that were whatever the first issue that they had that was that weren't in the story and like mm-hmm. you hadn't met them yet and then it was like wait mortician yeah and you then really meet i kept found like two to two issues later they're like in the mortuary and he's doing stuff and it's like oh like i don't know it was i just like that i thought it was a really cool detail to add to the back mm-hmm. um as some cool back which you don't see in comics i mean you, you see, see it in, it in like, manga well you see it in x-men because yeah oh, you okay. have to juggle yeah. all those people but or like I actually kind of see it near the beginning, you know, when it has like at the beginning of like, you know, uh, maybe an X-Men or Avengers where yeah. it has like the thing and it tells you who the characters are and gives that mm-hmm. whole thing. But yeah, we don't see it as much, especially in manga. We have a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. I once asked a writing professor why novels don't do that more often. And he was like really offended. He's <laughs> like, if you're not writing well enough for your readers to know who your characters are, you're not a good writer. Okay, and I was well, like, you have- just nope. throw them a bone. I've read fantasy yeah. novels where I'm like, I can't, you know, I can't even mm-hmm. say this person's we name. We read Harry Potter and are. there are so many background characters. I'm like, I don't remember this person. Yeah, Who's this person? Who are the who Patel do I- twins? I don't yeah, remember. What? Oh, yeah. You know, I don't, and I get them mixed up. Like there's the one guy who does in Harry Potter who does the Quidditch matches. And then like, and then two of Malfoy's friends, I get, I don't know. I get them all mixed up. And I'm like, there's a <laughs> yeah. Seamus in there somewhere. And there's, I don't know. <laughs> good old Seamus. Yeah, yeah, I gave up. But um, exactly. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's I mean, that's about all I have for you guys. Um, I do like to end every episode with a just a, a random question, something oh to kind of chill. Oh. Um, I won't be too um, uh, weird. Um, what cat? Oh. I, I don't have anything super weird right now. Actually, I have some like I actually don't really have anything that weird. Like I have the last time you peed yourself. But I don't want to ask you that. Um, what category? Probably on... yesterday. Jesus. Um, <laughs> if you were on Jeopardy, what category would you win the whole thing? Would you clear oh. the category? Oh, um, oh, Final Fantasy. Yep. If there was a category about Final Fantasy, I would just blow it out of the water. <laughs> Mine. Okay, I'll go even nerdier. Oh no! If they showed an example of a like fonts. I would probably be able to tell oh, you what the, what the fonts are. Okay. Either that or like, uh, like chip flavors. I don't know. It's just what funny is... you say the font thing because we will literally be driving around town. He'll go to a sign and be like, I know that font. I know that font. I know that <laughs> yeah, font. It's a lived experience. And now I assume you've seen yeah. the, the papyrus sketch from SNL. Yes. Oh okay. Gosh. I was going to say that one. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. So but, um, I can't, I can't think of any that I would, I mean, I've I've done good on like a couple of the like comics ones, or there was one that was Eisner's a couple of years ago, and it was just mm-hmm. comic things, oh but they goodness. didn't get. But the only thing I'll say is I always 
I like when um uh what do they call it kids Jeopardy or Teen yeah. Jeopardy whatever the kids want because I can nail that I nail all the categories yes. of kids Jeopardy but <laughs> nice. um I'm like I'm I'm killing it but um other than that <laughs> I mean so thanks you guys for coming on uh where can we find you guys online okay uh we're both on Twitter the most often uh my handle is Shining Capella which is spelled S H I N I N G C A P E L L A uh, you could also find us on our website at rossico.art, and that's spelled R-A-C-I-C-O-T dot art. Where can they find you? They find me on Twitter doing nothing at <laughs> Tobin Rossico. Honestly, the best place to find us and to stay in touch is our website and sign up for the newsletter. Sign up for the mm-hmm. newsletter because you not only, you know, if you're if you just don't want to be on social media or you miss stuff, the newsletter is a surefire where yeah. you won't you won't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Get lots of goodies. You get lots of get things that we do us. not post or give away anywhere else, like Valentine's Day cards or really ugly first drafts of Crown and Anchor that make <laughs> you want to barf. Mm-hmm. Barf, barf, barf. Um, yep. And we haven't mentioned it uh, nearly enough. Um, I don't, that sounds sarcastic. It's not. We really haven't mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Crown and Anchor volume, volume two, right? Yep. Yeah. It's October on 12th. Kickstarter. It's already on Kickstarter. Hopefully it's already funded by the time this comes out. Um, or it's it's still going. Either way, if it's already funded or not, go back it because I guarantee you they could use it. Um, Please back our book yeah. so we can keep making books. And you can find that. Go to crownanchorcomic.com. You'll go right to the Kickstarter. Yep crownanchorcomic.com and i will um provide a link to that uh somewhere i'll be sure to you know if you follow us you can find them find everything i'll put it all somewhere i don't know where yet but i'm figuring <laughs> it out i mean I'm, I'm, things are in flux right now the website's i'm changing some things around i'm trying to change my newsletter so it goes just through my website because mailchimp sucks um i understand <laughs> well, the thing <laughs> that makes real. me mad is i tweeted about it yesterday but um no they're only I'm sorry. I'm going to get on my little beef thing real fast. All right, they let's do only it. Allow you access to their customer service, like representatives, for the first 30 days that you use their service. What? After I that, didn't know I that. can't email. I can't email anyone. So now I have to use their crappy list of you know articles that don't help oh, me in our answer my question. Yeah. And I can't. And I'm like, there. There's nothing. Like I. I. There's no email. You have to do it within the first 30 days. And I was That's like, That's really the weird. dumbest thing i've ever heard of because my so yeah am i supposed to learn all of mailchimp in 30 days i don't i'm, I'm sorry that's I just, bizarre I, that's really i found weird. a battle I, last night like that was my thing like i've been setting this side 30 minutes a day to do comics work and that last night was website stuff mm-hmm. and then i found that out and i was just like losing my mind about it <laughs> man i'll look into the squarespace one yeah see how I'm, that works i'm i'm using squarespace right now for my website so i gotta figure out how to get the newsletter set up Anyway, um, you can find us on Twitter at F Press Comics, on Instagram at Form Press Comics or FormPressComics.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Um, I don't ever get on there. So, you know, I mean, do that if you want. I mean, I'm not going to, you're not going to get Boston anything time. out of it, but might as well. It's not going to hurt you if only you, if you want to, um, if you're a and, true fan. Exactly. And uh, do, please do subscribe because, you know, subscribers always help. Um, we're on everywhere you can get podcasts. Um, but the main place to find us the hub is on anchor.fm slash comics unscripted. Um, so Alara and Tobin, thanks you guys for coming on. Thanks, thanks Tyler. Tyler. This was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And thanks for reading Outer Darkness and sharing our fury that it's not going to continue. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're so sad. <laughs> All right. Thanks guys. <laughs>